<laughs> when Sam asked me to share about the nonprofit and why we started it and what motivated it and all of that, it was, um, it was good for me. It was good for me to reflect on that um, and really uh, be able to articulate in my own mind the why and the how and the reason it's continued. So I'm going to share that tonight. But I want to preface it with a disclaimer, and the disclaimer is um, there's just a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas in what has transpired, and I'm not um, the March of Dimes or the Red Cross, and there's just a lot that I wish I had done differently, and so I'm going to share some of that as well as what I think we're doing right. Um, but I don't have all the answers, I guess, is what I want you to understand going into this. And so I started out, and I had four little things. I thought, oh, that's easy. There's four things you need to know if you're starting a nonprofit or really any kind of a work. Um, and that then expanded to, oh, about 26 things, as things usually do when it's in my hands. And then we con I condensed it back down to, I think it was nine, and I needed an even number. As Beth will tell you, everything has to be symmetrical in my life. So now we have ten. So <laughs> just the way it is. So I'm just going to go through that and share with you those things that I think are important and things that I have learned. And the very first thing, um, if you're starting a nonprofit or I think any work that you believe God has called you to, is that you really believe and know for sure, for sure, for sure that God has called you to it. That it's not just a passing whim or something that seems like, oh, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I think I could do that. Um, I think you really have to know that you know that you know that God has called you to it. Because in a nonprofit, um, it took us about 18 months from the time that we said, yeah, I, I think I'm supposed to do this to the time that we actually got our nonprofit status and I, I don't think, I mean, Dennis and Beth probably are the best ones to confirm this or say no. I don't think there was anything fun or pleasing or particularly satisfying in any of those 18 months. It was just grinding out hard work, dealing with the IRS, the federal government, and worst of all, the state of California. And... Um, there was just nothing easy about it. And if I didn't know that God had called me to it, there's no way I would have continued. Um, there was just too many times when I said, this is ridiculous. This, this must be God's way of telling me to stop this whole process. Um, and in that, <clears throat> so that is the first thing. Know that you know that you know that you know God has called you to it. And... I knew that for a couple of reasons, but the biggest thing that is the most clear to me is I hate everything that has to do with camping. I, 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 there's, I find nothing pleasing about it, um, nothing. I, I hate bugs almost as much as I hate camping, maybe even more, and for sure I don't like the heat, and yet I can hardly wait to get back to all of that, which is what Haiti is. And, um, and I think that speaks to me every single time and did along the way that this had to be a God thing. This was definitely not 
a Denise thing. When I went to Haiti the first time, I've shared this with a lot of people, I, I went really dragging my feet. I had no desire to go whatsoever. I went because there were no excuses left for me not to go. And I promised the person I went with, or I made her promise that after I went the first time, she would leave me alone and stop bugging me about going. And the rest is history. It's like 19 trips later. So here we are. So that being said, that's the first one. But the second thing is to know where and from whom your inspiration comes. And I don't mean the God part, the Holy Spirit part. I mean who and what inspires you day to day. And I thought about who and what inspires me day to day to keep doing this. And there are really three. Um, Number one, um, maybe not in the order of importance, but one is Genesis and my family Genesis. And I um, include Sam particularly in his teaching in that. It is every Sunday, my Genesis family, somebody asks me about what's happening or somebody does something to encourage me. And Sam's teachings always challenge me to do it, um, as I say, gooder and better than, than I was doing it. And I, I, you need to know where your inspiration comes from, and that is a big source of my inspiration. My other big source of inspiration is my friend, um, who all I have to do is say, hi, and she immediately knows if she needs to speak words of encouragement to me, if there is a problem that needs to be solved, if, she, if it's time to celebrate something. Um, and, and you need that. There's just no way to keep pressing forward if you don't have that piece of inspiration in your life because you can't, you can't sustain it yourself. No matter, I don't think, no matter how close you are to God, no matter how prayerful, no matter how much you're in God's word, you need God in skin to speak those words of support and encouragement to you. And then I have a husband who basically forgoes any vacation that we might take together so that my travels to Haiti do not uh, impact the nonprofit. And what, what we spend on going to Haiti... Um, we we could go to Europe <laughs> almost every year on that, and Dennis graciously, and, and I don't think I've ever heard him complain about it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, foregoes that, and day to day, I go. The nonprofit goes from. This is kind of what my year looks like. January, I get ready to go in February. February, I start getting, well, all year long, really, for the fundraiser in the spring. Then I get ready for the summer trip to Haiti. And then we have a fundraiser in the fall. And then sometimes there's a trip or something else that has to happen. So my house, basically, our house, basically looks like... um, like our storage unit after an earthquake. And that's almost all the time. There's just always stuff everywhere. So when I say you need to know who your inspiration comes from, that's what I'm saying. You need to know that who's, 
who's there for you? Who, um, who's going to support you in a lot of different ways? Because, because you have to have that. You just do. Um, so that's the second one. So the third, and this is something I have learned maybe in the last year or so, is to not be discouraged when other people don't share your vision. Um, it's so obvious to me <laughs> what we should be doing and how it should happen and, and how resources should be spent. It, it's just obvious to me. But what I have come to realize is this was my calling. This was the vision that God gave me. And he has particularly equipped me for this. And so if you are called to something, he has equipped you and he has given you either the resources or the talent or just the thoughts, the ideas, the vision. But he's called you to it. He, did, he hasn't called anybody else to it. He, there can only be one director of for a reason. And that's me. And God gave me that vision. And I have learned that God gives everybody their own vision for whatever part in this life they play. And I have learned also that things that we know, but how it impacts me with the, the nonprofit is that we're all given gifts in the church and they're to be used uh, to express God's love to the world that we live in. And what he has called me to, he has not called everyone else to. And that can be discouraging because when it's so obvious to me and, and there are times when I just want to shake people and say, seriously. I mean, I do. I just want to shake people sometimes and say, you have got to be kidding me. And um, I have learned not to say that. <laughs> and so <laughs> that has been a really good thing. But if you're going to start a work like that, you have to know that and you have to understand that and you have to um, love the people <laughs> that don't capture the vision in quite the same intensity or way that you did. And then <clears throat> the next thing, it's, it's going to be four and five, which is how I got to ten, by the way, so <laughs> we're going to split it here, is the idea of fruitful labor. And this is something I shared at Drawing on Truth. It's a new thing for me. I, have, I know what fruitful labor is. I've heard the, the, the phrase and the verses that refer to a labor of love. Um, but what's new for me is an understanding that this is always going to be work. Always. It is never going to go away. And um, I think I have lived most of my life and f certainly most of this particular journey with the nonprofit thinking that as soon as I get through this checklist, I can rest. And what I now understand is there's just another checklist. And the checklist is repetitive, and the checklist is boring sometimes, and the checklist is frustrating, and, and it's all kinds of things that are not fun. There's absolutely nothing fun for me about going through receipts. I hate it. I love to spend the money. I, I love to see what it can do. But to keep track of things and answer to a bookkeeper is, is just, 
it's awful for me. It's, it, it's really hard and it's really difficult. But you have to do it because you're not just answering to the bookkeeper. You're answering to your donors. You're answering to the state of California and the federal government and really a whole lot of people that you have committed to for us in, in Haiti. So the notion that there was ever going to be a rest from all of this, I understand it's not going to happen now, which doesn't mean there aren't seasons of rest where I can reflect without the intensity or the constant barrage of, of work, but it's a labor. God didn't say that we were going to be, uh, he doesn't call us to fruitful pleasure, and he doesn't call us to fruitful satisfaction. He doesn't call us to even fruitful contentment, but he does call us to a fruitful labor. And so it's work, and that's okay. And I can lean into that work, and I can enjoy it, and I can even be blessed by it and not feel defeated when I never get to the end of a checklist. And so that's been a real freeing thing for me. And if it's a work you're thinking about starting, whether it's a nonprofit or any work, I, I think you have to embrace that notion that it's just work. It's a lot of work. But on the flip side of that, there's the fruitful part. And um, what I think you need to know is or understand is how are you going to define fruitfulness? Um, because it's going to be different for whatever you're involved in. For our nonprofit, it seemed obvious to me, seemed obvious to me that fruitful meant money. And if we were being really fruitful, we had a lot of donors. And uh, for the first, I would say, three years anyway, it was we were being fruitful if there was money in the bank and we were constantly increasing the amount of money in the bank and there was always way more money in the bank than I knew was going to be coming out very soon. And I didn't have to worry about that. Everything we do in our nonprofit needs money. There's just, just really nothing that we do that doesn't need money. But what I have come to realize is I don't measure the fruitfulness of this labor anymore by the money in the bank account. I can measure my anxiety level by the money in the bank account and uh, my comfort level unfortunately, is still somewhat determined by uh, what number that hits. But the fruit of that labor really comes in what's accomplished in Haiti, first and foremost, that we have children who are going to school who would otherwise be um, servants, and that's a nice way of putting what they are. They would be restivics, of which is slaves in... Um, in domestic servitude, either in Port-au-Prince for a wealthy family or they would be in the fields. And I don't mean 16-year-olds, I mean 9-year-olds who are then exploited in every way imaginable. So while I we don't keep hundreds of kids in school, the kids that we do have in school, we are literally changing their lives. And fruitfulness is for me, for the nonprofit, is also when we have, I'll just share this, when we have reached that, oh, yay, we're breathing a little bit here, and then an, a hurricane comes through. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is what happened last October. For the first time ever, I thought, oh, we are finally going to get to start an endowment. And it wasn't going to be huge. I mean, we're talking like $12,000 here. But it was going to be the start. And then the hurricane came through. And of our 25 families, I think 17 of them lost everything in the hurricane. And so the fruit came in the ability to sustain those families until they could replant their crops and harvest those crops. So the money went like that, um, but that was fruitful as well. And then beyond what happens in Haiti, I find it very fruitful, the relationships that are established here. The Of necessity, God has had me establish relationships with some very wealthy people. And I begin those relationships thinking, cool, these people, <laughs> these people have a lot of money. This is going to be an easy sell because $2,500 to them is like a quarter to me. But what ends up happening is God establishes a relationship with these people. And they first become my acquaintances and then sort of team members in the work. And this, of course, is after I've rolled my eyes a lot, thinking, oh, brother, this will be fun, taking this wealthy person to Haiti. And they fall in love with it. And they embrace the work that we do there. And more importantly, we have to spend so much time together that it sets the stage for an eventual conversation or conversations about Christ. And I have a friend who once said, if all for a reason was just to save the soul of one particular woman, it would be worth it, and it would, and that is fruitfulness to me, and that's how um, I have come to measure it. But whatever your ministry or whatever work God calls you to, I think you have to be clear about what the fruit is, or else it becomes um, very discouraging very fast. So... um, The number six is know your mission. And if there was one thing I wish I had done differently, it would have been to better articulate my mission, not only for myself, but to everyone I talked to. I knew in my head that my mission was to keep kids in school. Um, And I sort of made that clear, and we put it on the website, and we put it on our brochures, but even though it was there and I kind of had it in my head, because it wasn't as clear as it should have been, I allowed myself to be distracted um, and go down this. And it, good and noble things. It's not like, you know, we were whatever. Um, but if you're starting a work, if God has called you to a work, I think you have to really know what your mission is and not be distracted, even if it's something personally satisfying and personally rewarding. The example I would use is in our nonprofit, we became involved in teacher education. And teacher education is something I personally love. It's, it's what I do now. Um, I teach at, at the University of Redlands. I love it. I love working with teachers. But it, it has quickly become what I refer to as a budget sucker <laughs> in, in the organization, and it has become a financial distraction to what our primary mission is. And so now I'm working 
gently um, but very focused um, to extract ourselves from that work and to turn it over um, but to allow it to be sustained in other ways. So know what your mission really is and stick to it and articulate it because there's never enough money, there's never enough energy, there's never enough of anything. Um, And so you really have to know what your mission is. And number seven is to surround yourself with people who at least give voice to sharing your vision. Um, Or they have the skill sets that you need because you can't do everything. But in saying that, and here's my Debbie Downer statement for the evening, don't think that you can always rely on them because you can't. And in the end... In the end, you do a lot of the work yourself that you thought you had a whole team working on. Um, Everybody has good intentions. A lot of people will commit to something because they like me or um, it's intriguing to them or whatever. But life happens. And because it's not their passion, because it's not their calling, because it's not God impressing that upon them, uh, the work falls to me or a few friends to to get it done in the end. And I think you have to be prepared for that and not become angry. I've learned not to become angry. I'm still disappointed when that happens. Um, but I don't think I get angry anymore. I think I've just accepted the fact and I I take steps to prepare to say, You know what, I might be putting the flowers in those vases Saturday morning, or I might have to be the one folding the napkins even though these people have said they're going to do it, or whatever whatever it happens to be. And at the same time, my practical advice is, if you can pay somebody to do it, then hire somebody. Hire One of the first things we did was hire a bookkeeper because, as I've already shared, I hate all of that. And so we hired a bookkeeper who keeps everything on board and honest and the paperwork. Um, The next thing I hope to hire is somebody to do our social media because that just stresses me to no end. For some people, it's easy stuff. For me, it's difficult. And so surround yourself with people who have the skill set. Don't expect them to always follow through. And pay people to do whatever you can, whatever you can afford. I'm almost done, Sam. Okay. Um, Number eight is don't let the mistakes of the past harass you. I have such a long list of things I should have done better or I wish I had done. Um, Missed opportunities. We lost a substantial donor a year ago because I didn't follow through on some social media things that they had wanted. Um, Those things can easily harass us. The conversation I didn't have, the phone call I didn't make, the yes or the no I didn't say, whatever it is. And it's I struggle with it. It's the things that wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. But I'm learning not to let them harass me to the place where I'm incapacitated to move forward, which brings me to number nine. Just don't let concerns about the future paralyze you. Um, When we had to spend, we didn't have to, when the decision was made to spend the money in October, 
it took a while to get there. It was paralyzing to think about what if I need that money for something else? What if, and the what ifs about the future um, can really hinder the work that God wants to do. When I left St. Mark's, there was a lot of concerns with me about the future financially. Come to find out God really does provide. And what I have learned with the nonprofit is everything we've ever needed has always been provided. But that's all God has provided. And, and that's just God dealing with me. There's never, except for that one brief moment, there's never an excess. It's like money in, money out. But the money is always there for what we need. And um, Dennis and Beth can tell you we've been through a lot of <laughs> those kinds of moments. But God has always come through. And so I encourage you not to be so stressed about the future that it paralyzes you from stepping forward into what God wants you to do. If you've heard me share this before, you know that I thought about the nonprofit for almost a year before I stepped into it. And it took a message that Sam gave on New Year's Day, which basically just said, do it. It's like, if God has called you to something, then do it. If God has equipped you, do it. If, if it's something you can't get out of your mind, do it. Step into it and be willing to persevere and accomplish the work that God wants to use you for. Because there's nothing more satisfying than knowing you have been obedient to God. That is, that is the best part about doing it. Better than the fruit, better than the travels, better than the experience. It's knowing that you have been faithful. And number 10, probably should have been number one, but number 10 is be prayerful. There is, there is no substitute for being in prayer constantly and consistently um, as you move through all of whatever your work is. For me, I just need prayer from, I hope I don't get sick on this trip, to this person that's coming along is already driving me nuts and I've never not even ridden in the car with her yet to um, whatever it is. And there's just no way to deal with any of those kinds of things without a lot of prayer. Or you can bring Sam along and then your pastor is there, so then you have to be a little bit nicer than you might be at other times. But um, So prayer is important. And, and I know there's a lot of people here who pray for me and with me and that means the world to me. And so those are my ten guidelines for starting a non-profit. Um, there you have it. If you want details about you know, the actual paperwork and stuff, I'll talk to you about that. But you just have to persevere. You just have to hang in there and not give up. And that's it. Okay? Certainly, <laughs> always. Um, we do have a website that's set up to receive donations, and that's just far f a r for a reason dot org, and you can donate there. And you can also find out more because we just updated our 
website. So that's a happy social media thing. But definitely, you can also write to us. We have an um, address that you can get off of the website as well. And we're just, we just have a, a box here in Upland that you can write to. Or you can visit Genesis. We're almost always there at Genesis. And you can <laughs> come and ask questions there, too. Are you okay for people to ask questions? Absolutely. The school I was at had a partnership with Haiti, and I was involved in fundraising there, and that's all I had ever hoped to be involved in was raising a little bit of money for the people who went each year. And they always went in February, and... Um, I always said, you know, what substitutes? It's just a lot of work to get a substitute, and I can't leave my students for that whole week, and um, all good, noble reasons. And then the earthquake hit, and the trip was postponed until June, and the woman who kind of heads all of this came to me and said, "Hmm, we're going in June now. No school. (laughs) There There was like no, I had no reason not to go and so I said to her I will go if after this trip you stop bugging me you don't ask me to go again I'll keep raising money but I'm not going to do don't ask me to go again and she will tell you I went the first time and three days into the trip I looked at her and I said take me to the airport and I will wait for you in the airport for four days until the rest of you come and we fly home because um I hated the vulnerability. I understood for the first time what it's like to be a person of color in a white world because I was a white person in in a whole country of color. And it wasn't that I ever felt threatened. I never felt threatened. But I, um, there's no, you're you're vulnerable. You stand out. There's no place, there's no place to hide. People were lovely. People were gracious. People were kind. But um, I hated that feeling, and um, I didn't care for the heat. (laughs) I just, I didn't like it, and she wouldn't take me to the airport. (laughs) And the next day we had a, um, we went to a church service the next day, and in Haiti there's no waste management. Um, There are big ditches and gullies, and the further you get away from the city, Okay, um, and so we were going to a very rural community to sort of be the first people there to a new church, and the new church consisted of four poles with a tarp over it, and we drove and we crossed a riverbed, you know, pretty exciting, you're feeling like, wow, pretty cool to be doing all of this, and we get there, and in order to get from where the car is parked to the field that we have to go across, you have to jump over um, a ditch and it wasn't a big ditch but I have zip coordination and I stood there watching everybody jump and going this is you know and sure enough um, I landed splat in the middle of the ditch and had to go to church and everybody looked at me because people who go to church in Haiti are pristine 
it's you know their dress up day and they have one outfit and they're going to look amazing so it was all over church was all over we ate our lunch and we came back and the men of the community had built a bridge for me so that I didn't have to jump back across and I thought if they can do that for me doggone it I I can do whatever God asked me to do here and from that moment on I loved it I just I did I fell in love with the people and um, the country and and I don't know why Haiti other than God said "Eh, this is yours Denise so a long way to answer that story but that's why I'm happy to hear that. I would call that fruitful labor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you went to Labadee, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a it Labadee is like nice and sanitized. <laughs> so you went beyond Labadee. <laughs> Well, you were on a big island. Where are we? Yeah. It is, because it's just, it's, just, it's just right beyond that. I went to Labadee about two years ago just to see, and yeah, it's pretty. So, Denise, there's um, just somebody that always captures your heart. Individual, that's what it's about, Mm -hmm. right? We do this because we want people to come to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, who was it for you? Um, Well, it wasn't necessarily somebody who wanted to come to the Lord, it was the first little boy that um, he did. He did exactly that, he captured my heart. and I brought full on my American understanding of what is best for children. Um, I absolutely fell in love with this child. And what I ended up doing was he wanted a guitar. I brought him a guitar. He wanted new clothes. I brought him new clothes. And what it ended up doing was undermining the authority of the priest. Uh, he was living at the home of the priest. It completely undermined his authority. And it ended up, this little boy... Um, ended up running away because Denise had provided plenty for him and he never finished school. He, he did no, none of it. Um, and I think about him all the time. Sometimes when I go back, I will see him. But it, he still has the biggest place in my heart, but also the biggest lesson for that is that I cannot bring my um, American white, if you 
want to go there, but certainly not my American understanding of what is best. It it absolutely changed the way I I have learned to listen way more to what uh, the people there say to me and a whole lot less of, oh, I know how to fix this. Because I am a fixer. It's what I do. I've always been that way. Need that? Let's see how we can make this work. And I have learned to step back and say, okay, so tell me about this. It seems to me this, but tell me what, what you think you need here. That's why we have the Goats and Garden um, project instead of the lunch program, really, because it seemed to me that we should supply lunches for kids at the school. Well, the priest said, no, actually what we need is something sustainable that we can do ourselves that can expand where, and so it evolved from that. Yeah, it is. It was the fruitful labor, and part of the fruit is how I have grown and how I have learned. When you go now, do you, are there still fearful moments or not? Um, the biggest fear for me is that I'm going to get sick again. Yeah. Um, if you know me, you know that I contracted cholera there once, and um, that was the moment when I thought I was going to die and was afraid I wasn't going to at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, it was the single scariest moment of my life bar none and um, so my my only real fear now is that I'm going to get sick again when I'm there because there's this and not color because I keep my mouth shut now but um, that that's that's my biggest fear so you can be praying for me because this next trip I'm going to be there from August 3rd until August 29th that's like the longest I've ever been there so yeah. So no, I I don't think I ever have any fear anymore. I don't. But I'm careful too. I you know I monitor the embassy warnings and and that. But I don't think so. That's another reason I know it's a God thing. I'm I'm not. I should be. I think. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be. But I'm not. I, I'm just not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm more afraid to drive into L.A. than I am to <laughs> go to Haiti. So. Why is this trip so much longer? Um, yeah, because it started out as this week, this one week. And then the group that we were going to go with in June, it didn't work out. So we moved it to August. And I thought, as long as I'm going to be there, let's just tack that on. Then I only have one plane flight. And then one of our big, big donors wants to go for the first time. And the only time he can go is at the beginning of the month. So then the trip um, ex- expanded that direction. So that's why. The 29th? The 29th. So in essence, you become ambassador kind of to taking people to see mm-hmm. what's happening there. And preferably they... They captured. Yes. I, I don't think anybody's ever gone that hasn't been smitten after they get there because what you discover is it's all about relationships even the the poorest of the poor want a relationship with you more than they want anything from you i think isn't that your experience too they they want a relationship they and what i under, what i have come to understand is they want you to speak words of encouragement and hope and love into their lives and 
no, they have a faith. You know, we're not there evangelizing. They have a faith. But like all of us with faith, we need those people who say, God hasn't abandoned you. I know your circumstances look and feel like it, but, but God hasn't. He loves you, and, and you, bring, you bring worth and value to my life that, that I can't get anywhere else. And so that it is, it's the relationship, I think, more than what we do. Which isn't to say the money doesn't open the doors for some of those relationships, but um, that's reality. So. When is the Jugo sale? I leave on the 12th. I hope not. I hope you leave on the 11th and arrive the 12th. <laughs> we, just, we just had a, 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 a slight little nightmare with, our, um, with one of our professors who booked the wrong day. So... Yeah. Pretty sure she's got the dates right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there for I think, ten days. Yeah. You are. And, and like um, Jeannot, Pere Jeannot, because he's yeah. you know, Episcopal priest, Pere Jeannot, uh, has really connected with Sam. And he, he longs for Sam's visit. He can't wait for Sam to be there. So it's the rest of us are like, yeah, whatever. Okay, we know we know you're bringing a computer lab, but hey, is Sam coming? And will he be at church on Sunday? I was like, yeah, okay. So that it's it's the relationship. I think, of the, I think one of the greatest privileges I had was speaking at the church. Mm-hmm. Really, was touching me that he opened it up, especially me not being a pastor. Right, caller free. <laughs> well, now. <laughs> definitely endearing to develop that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, a few things that I've learned through you um, and through things that you've been doing through Haiti is one is that toxic charity. Mm-hmm. You know, idea of you can't just go somewhere and give some things. To someone. Mm-hmm. You have to give the ability mm-hmm. to feed something. To someone, like the goats of garden. Mm-hmm. You can feed them or you can help them get started build something so that they can build themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's been an important lesson for me, and I think that's affected us at Genesis, even with how we're reaching the homeless around us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's changed my ideas in Mexico, with some of the things that we've done in Mexico, to be uh, providing something where they become more sustainable instead mm-hmm. of dependent. Right. You know? Also, I was there when she contracted cholera. Mm-hmm. I was like, where's Denise? I haven't seen her for a few days. Mm-hmm. And I think what impressed me um, the most is after that, she was thinking, how could someone who lives in this country go through that and not have people and the means to get better? Mm-hmm. In other words, you were able to survive because you knew what it was, you knew what you needed to mm-hmm. helping to you. Help. Mm-hmm. And these people are going to, and they have none of that. Mm-hmm. And that drove her deeper mm-hmm. into helping instead of working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, the compassion for the people and the things that were there. And I think that's something, again, that I've learned even through seeing you there. It really is about the people mm-hmm. and helping them to be able to be healthy and whole. And it's mm-hmm. a lifetime process. I have a new term that, that I'm going to coin, and when you all hear it, 
used frequently in a few years, know that you heard it here first, and, and that is exchangement. <clears throat> um, exchangement is is it's not a word, but it's my word because I I've come to understand that there has to be a, an authentic exchange for any of this to be meaningful, and um, if if I'm going to give you this then you're going to do this for me. Not because I'm expecting something in return, but because I know it conveys dignity and worth and value and appreciation. And so there has to be an exchangement for it to be meaningful. And it, it, that has been a long journey for me to get to the place where I understand that. And, um, Mm-hmm. That that has it changed the whole direction of how and the way we do things. And it has to. So, mm-hmm. um, question on the teacher education portion. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me that that would be a footnote underneath educating the children, um, and I can understand their reasons why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people that you need you know, God and skin to encourage you mm-hmm. and you know, not be dwelling on your mistakes that you made and to you know, look towards the future and things. These are all things that apply to all of us as we go through as Sam talks about the journey that we're in mm-hmm. in our lives. So it seems to me that God is maybe I'm not sure how the word is, is like made this even more Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, not exaggerated or stronger or more fulfilling, but this applies to all of us mm-hmm. in all of our lives. So those are the, the two things that I, I wondered about the teacher education thing and the fact that these are the things that affect all of us. Well, the teacher education thing, um, it, it, is, it was necessary. It, it's still necessary. But I, as an American, cannot do it as well as a Haitian. Um, and so what we have done is we have exchanged um, with, with the two men who were university professors before the earthquake. And then for both of these men, the universities they taught at were destroyed, um, along with a lot of their colleagues and students. And so there has been no work for them. And so we kind of hired them on to translate for us. And then it became very clear that they could do this a whole lot better than I can because to translate is just time-consuming and cumbersome. And so we've, we've kind of embarked on a journey, and, and I'm always trying to move toward this where we step further and further back and the Haitians we work with step further and further forward. And so we are actually bringing them to the University of Redlands in October um, they'll kind of get a stamp of approval from the university, and then um, we will encourage them in doing this on their own. Uh, there will still be a part of it, um, 
but not to the level that we are right now because they can do it better. They, un- they, they just can't. They understand the, their teachers. They understand their culture. They understand their students. And um, so, yes, it was important. And, yes, I do think it applies to all of us. I, I absolutely do. But, but I think the difference is mine gets a lot of glory and credit and recognition and... Um, yeah, and cholera. <laughs> no, but I do. I mean, it 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 um, it gives me status. It gives me authority. It gives me credibility. It gives me a lot. And I think a lot of people are called to things that that don't get that. Um, so even more so, I think that those are the people who have to know for sure that God has called them to us because nobody's clapping after they speak, and nobody is. Um, asking them to come speak at their school or, you know, whatever. So I do. I agree with you 100%. There's really nothing except for fundraising that um, I do that everybody else doesn't have to do also. Okay. Thoughts? Questions? Thank you so much. See? Thank you. Well, thank you. It was, it's nice to be forced to articulate these things a little bit. I, I usually am just doing the next thing, check, check, check down that checklist that never ends. And so it's helpful to kind of articulate things in your brain and reflect on it every so often. So thank you. No, well, <laughs> no, we'll talk. <laughs> well. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for all these things that have been shared in the heart that they come from, Lord, as we see you at work through Denise and how it's affected not only those people in Haiti, but it's affected us as well. And we are grateful to be a part of your work, Lord. I do believe that these things that she shared are so important, Lord. There is a task for us, each one of us, who have created us recreated us in Christ for good works that you have preordained that we should walk in. And so, Lord, may we move into those things that you have for us, the good that we could do for others, the the work that presses in on our hearts, that stays on our minds, that pushes us into the lives of the needs of others. uh, Lord, may we do it with humility. May we do it with 